everyone is aware of the boomers and the Gen Xers. But there's another generation in between those two. A generation that's been forgotten. Small in number, this generation was ignored by marketers, by companies. We were ignored by society as a whole and just absorbed into the groups before and after us. So you may ask, what is this forgotten generation? And who are these people? Well, you've come to the right place. People like to call us late boomers or early Xers, but we're neither of those. We're Generation Jones, and this podcast celebrates and chronicles our stories. We are Generation Jones, and this is the Heads Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heads Podcast. This time around, we have a very special podcast, at least it's special to me. Um, This episode is a tribute to my best friend, my brother, my comrade in arms, Mark D. Rose. Mark was a complex man. Mark could be a loving friend, and Mark could be a vicious enemy. Both of these resided within the same man. I found myself on both ends of that at times. You know, when you're very close with someone, you often see all aspects of them. I can say for sure that Mark was mostly a dedicated friend, someone who would do anything at any time for a friend. Love him or hate him, Mark Rose was one of a kind. And when he left us, he left a big hole Uh, in this world, in my world, to be perfectly honest. Here's his story. story about Mark and myself and Montclair. Um, Craziness, self-destruction, dedication, loyalty, the whole nine yards. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Rose. Mark was born on November 9th, 1964, to his mother, Margaret Rose. A couple years later, his sister Hope would follow. Mark knew his father, but never really had much of a relationship with him. He did have strong role models, though. Chief among them was his mother, Margaret. Also, his aunts and uncles, they all were very family-oriented and came together for holidays and were guiding forces in his life. Other than his mother, his aunt and uncle, Riley and Brenda Mincy, were the biggest influences on him. They were surrogate co-parents and helped Mark really with growing up and becoming a man. I remember Riley would have a big Thanksgiving feast at his house every year, and I went to a couple of them. The highlight for Mark and I was being invited into the back room where all the men were and Riley giving us a bud nip to drink. We sat back there so proud with the men drinking beer, you know, all four ounces of it. And um, Riley really knew how to make you feel welcome and feel part of the pack, um, especially for me. Being up in New Jersey, not having a family, Riley and Brenda took me in um, and really uh, really gave me a family to spend 
holidays with. Margaret was cut from the same cloth. She was a single mom raising two kids, but I saw her take in so many people, people who were hungry, people needed a place to stay. Um, she didn't have a whole lot, but whatever she had, she shared. And it didn't always work out in her favor or to her advantage, but she did it anyway. No doubt Margaret was a hard woman, but she also had a heart of gold. And that heart of gold saved me from a few scrapes, uh, including homelessness. At one point, I didn't know it, but she found out that I was living in a car. And she immediately insisted that I move in and live with them. She was very insistent about it, and her reasoning was that she didn't want me out there running the streets. And with that, I moved in with them. When Margaret insisted, you listened. The point of this is that to the day she died, Margaret never told me that she knew I was homeless. Um, she didn't take my pride. Um, she performed an incredible act of caring and at the same time was concerned about my own feelings and my self-esteem. So you may ask, what accounted for that other side of Mark, that, that darker side? And I think a lot of it stemmed from his childhood. He was a heavy kid, he was a fat kid, and he was teased mercilessly for it. You know, back in those days, no one really cared. I mean, that sort of thing happened all the time. And he got sick of it. And he told me one time, I remember that he realized if you punch someone in the face, they tend to stop teasing you. And that became his go-to. I remember early in our friendship, we were, it was after school at Glenfield and Mark was on the payphone. Tells you how long ago that was. And to call his mother, probably to ask if he could hang out uh, longer. And this random kid came up to him and just was teasing him, just out of nowhere. And Mark very politely said to his mother, can you hang on a minute, Mom? And turned around and punched a kid squarely in the face, bounced his head off the wall. Um, it was brutal, but it got the job done. Let me back up a minute. Mark and I met in the fall of 1977. I had been going to Hillside School, and they um, changed the school right before my eighth grade year. They made it an elementary school and dispersed us all around town. They sent me to Glenfield. Glenfield had a reputation at that time, at least at Hillside, as like a tough school. And I was more than a little nervous going there. Um, and I, uh, one of my friends from Hillside came with me. And one day, we found ourselves in this class very early, maybe the second or third day of school. And the friend that I was with got to class first. It was Mrs. Short's English class. And when I walked in, he looked spooked. I said, what's the matter? And he said, um, I put my books down and I went to sharpen my pencil. And that big black kid just moved my books and sat in my chair. And I said, well, you need to go say something. And he said, no, 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 I don't want to. And... You know, I said again, I said, you know, you have to say something. I mean, we just, we can't be punks this whole school year. He refused. And I realized that, you know, he and I were friends. 
And so I was going to get the same rep as him. So I walked up to Mark, fully expecting a fight. Um, and I said, hey, my friend's books were there. You just pushed them aside and sat down. And Mark stood up, and Mark was a big kid, very intimidating. He looked at me and he said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. Moved the books back where they were and took another seat. Um, <laughs> couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been more polite. Didn't realize what he had done. Um, that was the beginning of my lifelong friendship with Mark. Um, from that point, we started talking and hanging out. And very quickly, we became inseparable that whole eighth grade year. Um, and for many, many, many years afterward. Eighth grade year ended, and it was on to Montclair High School. Actually, on to the team school. During our freshman year, we discovered new ways of getting in trouble, new ways of expanding our minds, new ways of cutting class and getting away with it. Six Square was like a religion, and regular trips to places like the Geet Run or the tunnel underneath the parking lot were daily, multiple daily occurrences. They were good times. We had really come into our own, and I found lots of friends at the team school. It was a good place. One of the main reasons for it being so good was because of one man, and that's Dave Giddish. For some reason, Dave took to Mark and myself. We would spend many mornings in his office talking about all kinds of world issues and news and our plans, our goals. Dave put a lot of time into us at a time when no one else really did. He was very influential in us learning and understanding that learning was important. And we would go into his office in the morning sometimes and he would talk to us and then he would say, hey, wait, it's first period. You guys are late. Get out of here, which I'm sure he knew that. He would just play it off like that. And, you know, we were really happy that we tricked the principal once again. Uh, but he was a he was a good guy and um, he really helped the two of us in many ways. Freshman year was probably the best school year of my life. Mark and I made lots of friends. Um, among them, Mitchie was one of my best friends. Uh, Roseanne and Karen. Matter of fact, the first time either one of us got drunk was at Roseanne and Karen's New Year's Eve party, 1979 into 1980. And boy, we were drunk. Um, drunk, drunk. Friends from... Glenfield Middle School also came over to the team school with us, and we were both close with uh, Chris Scully. Uh, we were very close. Mark and Chris actually were very good friends when I showed up on the scene in eighth grade. Uh, John Narducci also, he was you know part of that. At the end of freshman year of high school, Mark and I had gotten a real taste of independence. Uh, that really pissed off our families because we seriously began to separate from them and um, we didn't care we were having fun and believe me that came with consequences for both of us but we were having a good time there was a weird synergy between Mark and I 
you know, separately, we were each kind of shy, um, withdrawn a little bit. But when we got together, we would uh, go anywhere, do anything, say anything to anyone. Uh, it's like the two of us coming together kind of created two whole new people. During that year, Mark got a really cool job. He got a job at Warner Brothers in Manhattan. And he would go in on a Saturday and work a couple of hours. And his job was to destroy albums. There was a spot in the basement and they would give him these carts full of albums and he had to destroy them and dispose of them. Needless to say, there were many albums of which he did neither. They found their way into his backpack and back to Montclair, New Jersey. And it was a blast to have three albums. Another great perk of working at Warner Brothers was that he would get free movie tickets sometimes. And the first time he got them, it was for Animal House. It was the big new movie at the time, and being able to go see it for free was just an incredible get. We used those free tickets to go on both of our first date. If I say that incorrectly, it sounds like we went on our first date together, which we didn't, at least not just the two of us. We brought two girls on dates, and we were big men, you know, springing for dates for the hottest movie around uh, with free tickets. <laughs> they didn't know the tickets were free. We were new at that, but we weren't stupid. Not that stupid. Also that year, we went on a class trip to Washington, D.C. by train. Had a great time, but when we got back, we pulled into Newark. It took me so long to get my bag out of the rack that the train took off, and Mark and I were the only two from our group who got off the train in Newark. You know, walking up to the meeting area where everyone's parents were waiting um, was a little awkward, trying to explain. Lots of little traditions took hold that year, like having lunch from Danny's Pizzeria, escaping from Mrs. Wills, the hall monitor and attendance, secretary who seemed to catch Mark and I at every wrong thing we ever did. Mark and I both ended up in summer school after ninth grade. Um, then came 10th grade. And did we learn? Nope. 10th grade was more hanging out, more running the streets, as Margaret would say. Uh, partying, parties, studying, eh, not so much. Worrying about grades, eh, not so much. We were having too much fun to let reality get in the way. Then right in the middle of our sophomore year, the wheels came off. My father retired from the post office and removed Florida. So there I was, 16 years old, just really coming into my own and uprooted completely. I don't blame my parents for this. It was just bad timing. I got into the Tampa school system H.B. Plant High School, and it was an unmitigated disaster. They were not used to kids with attitudes like mine, and I wasn't particularly into listening to anything anyone had to say. I was pissed. I missed my friends, I missed the whole social scene, and I let everybody know it in one way or another. If there were a record for quickest suspension at H.B. Plant High School, I would have had it. I was suspended 
the day I went in and registered. I wasn't even a student yet. And they threw me out. That gives you a little, little insight. I went nuts that year. Quit high school. Got into lots of trouble. Um, just a lot of craziness. And so much so that I convinced my parents by my 17th birthday to allow me to move away, move out of their house, and move back up to Montclair. My parents were frightened, they were confused, they didn't know what to do, but that worked for me. Oddly enough, that year I was in Florida, our lives ran strangely parallel. We both got into lots of trouble, um, issues in school. I quit school. He was kicked out of Montclair High School for inciting a riot uh, and sent to Chancellor Academy, a, a private school for kids with behavior issues. Um, it was one of the best things that ever happened to him. He did really well there, gained lots of confidence, and would end up spending his career there as an educator. It's kind of a weird juxtaposition that he was doing the best ever and the worst ever at the same time. But I guess that was Mark. That job wasn't just good for Mark. It was also good for the kids at the school. He ended up having a really positive influence over a lot of kids. Was a beloved character, and I do mean character there. He could relate to the kids in ways that other people just couldn't. Um, and he really made his mark. He became the computer teacher and when he passed, they uh, named the computer lab after him as an honor to him, the Mark Rose Memorial Computer Lab. He would have loved that. <laughs> okay, back up again. So February of 1981, I blow back into town, and Mark has a whole new set of friends, a bunch of folks from Upper Montclair. He introduces me around. And um, it was great. The first person I met was Miguel Rodriguez, and we were friends immediately. I think probably within 10 minutes we knew we would be friends for life, and we were absolutely correct. Miguel was the funniest guy I had ever met. He was totally out of control and a whole lot of fun to be around. And the cast of characters in general were a blast. People like John Cardell, Greg Benthol, Billy Johnson, my God, hanging in Billy's basement. Dave McKay, a.k.a. Foo-Foo. And there was Bill Casby. Diana Cohen, Doug and Doug. Harry Harris. Patty Way, George Way. Rich Wilkinson. Uh, Rayball. Tex. I apologize to the people I'm leaving out because I know I'm leaving out a lot of names. And uh, it's nothing personal. It's just a uh, uh, little fuzzy, the memories from those days. A little fuzzy. You know, it's kind of wonderful to look back. We were all so very different. Gay, straight, male, female, wealthy and poor, and everything in between those. You name it, we were just very, very different people. But we all came together, and it all worked. It was a unique period in my life, and that was 100% thanks to Mark. And at the time, I didn't realize exactly what it was, but looking back, I really understand what it was, and man, do I appreciate it. And somewhere along the line, something profound happened. Happens to everybody. We grew up. We had jobs. We had 
families, we had lives, and through all of that, we stayed close friends. You know, sometimes we'd be out and about, and we'd run into someone from the old days, and they would say, man, you two still hang out? And the answer was, yeah, yeah, we still hung out. We were still best friends, even into our adulthood. Now, you can't talk about Mark without talking about Rana. Rana was his wife. She was the love of his life. Another awesome person. So much fun to be around. An educator. Uh, just an overall good person. They built a great life together. They had a nice condo in Montclair. And um, uh, one day, Mark's sister, Hope, passed away. And they took in her two children, Michael and Tara. I've always thought that was a very selfless and amazing thing to do, especially for Rana. Um, you know, she took those kids in and without blinking, took care of them and raised them as her own. And all this was while she was going through very serious health issues. But it didn't stop her. Matter of fact, it didn't even slow her down. At the same time, you know, Mark was going through some pretty serious things, his diabetes was advancing, and they did their best. They really did their best, and their best was damn good. And, you know, right next to them through it all, Rana's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Lavner, they were amazing with their help, their support. Um, those kids were their grandchildren. They looked at them as their grandchildren, treated them as their grandchildren. You know, they were just very special people. The Lavners. It's no wonder that Rana was who she was. Rana joined Mark as one of my all-time trusted friends. Both good and bad life events. I went to Mark and Rana. They were my first stop. The night it was decided that I was getting divorced, I went directly to their house. That was my sanctuary. There was no place else I was going to go that night. The day Rana passed away, naturally I went there as soon as I heard and when I got there Mark's family was already there and he was uh, in the kitchen with his cousins and I walked in and just looked at him and he looked at me and we just embraced and, and Mark and I almost never embraced I would take a bullet for him he'd take a bullet for me but maybe we hugged three times in all the years we knew each other but that was one of those times. We just held on to each other. No words could be used. And frankly, no words were needed. Mark worked really hard to raise those kids after Rana passed. But he just couldn't. His health was failing in a big way. And he just wasn't able I know for a fact that he considered it the greatest failure of his life and a failure as an uncle and as a man. And he never got over it. Um, he really wanted to do right by those kids. The last years of Mark's life were especially tough, but I have to say, he never stopped fighting. Even though he was essentially blind, confined to a wheelchair, multiple amputations. He was a real mess. But even that didn't stop him. Eventually he ended up in a 
care facility, basically a nursing home. And that's where he was for the rest of his life. You know, even there, it wasn't long before he was basically running the place, uh, which is no surprise. I would visit Mark on Wednesday night with uh, Dunkin' Donuts coffee, a couple packs of cigarettes. We would hang out and just talk and make fun of people and things and laugh about the past, and we'd have a good time. You know, Mark's body was broken, no doubt, but man, his spirit was strong. Mark was receiving Medicare for his stay at the facility, and because of that, he really couldn't earn money. Any money that he made was taken to pay for his care. So he and I started to hatch a scheme in which he would make things. He made jewelry. He would make jewelry. We would set up a company in my name, and he would sell the jewelry and cut me in on just enough of the money to take care of the extra taxes I would pay. And then I would kick the money back to him in cash. We finalized our plan on what ended up being the day before he died. We had uh, gotten it all together and we were ready to go. Um, even at that stage, man, you know, Mark was making moves. We were doing our thing. I mean, it's, I can kind of smile at it now. It's been so many years, but at the very end, Mark was still Mark. You know, there comes a point at which spirit can no longer carry you. Tenacity just isn't enough. And Mark reached that point on September 7th, 2006. As I said earlier, I was with him the night before. It was you know my regular weekly visit. And uh, we were, again, you know, talking about the fun we had as kids and adults and I uh, walked with him back to his room and Mark was in one of those motorized chairs and he did not like sleeping in bed because once he got into bed, he had to wait for someone to get him out because he had had both legs uh, amputated and he, he could not handle feeling that level of helplessness. So it was late and, you know, in the room. And I said, hey, Mark, let me help you up in your bed, man. Why don't you sleep comfortably for once? And he said, no, no, that's good. I'm okay in the chair. And I kind of insisted a little bit. Come on, man. Like, wh why do you want to sleep in that chair? And with that, Mark took me by the collar, pulled me in close, and said something to the effect of, um, look, Junior, don't get your panties in a bunch. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> One of the last things the man ever said to me. You know, it was obvious that he was not long for the world, but not that he was that close to the end. And after, you know, insulting me, he pulled me in and he hugged me. And he said, I love you, Gary. And I said, I hugged him back. I said, uh, I love you, Mark. Uh, again, you know, we really didn't embrace, and it really stood out that he did that. But I didn't imagine 
that would be the last time we would talk. Um, it's almost as if he knew, I don't know, maybe that's weird or stupid to say. Um, but, you know, the last thing my best friend said to me was that he loved me. And the last thing I got to say to him was that I loved him. And, you know, it's the best ending I've ever had with a friend or, or family member. Everything that needed to be said between Mark and I was said. All of the T's were crossed. I's were dotted. And um, apparently he woke up the next day and was in his chair and then decided to take a nap in the bed. Went to sleep and just never woke up. He had a very peaceful death. And that's the biggest blessing of all of this. That he went in his sleep and, you know, found peace in the last moments. All right, there's no way I'm ending this on that sad note. Mark would never have it. Um, so what I decided to do is to end this with some Markisms. Some funny things Mark has said. Things he was known to say. Some memories shared by other people. I want to go out on that note, on something funny and something happy from my best friend, Mark Rose. You really couldn't have a conversation with Mark without him saying, yo, man, or that's what I'm saying. It, they were pretty much staples of everything he ever uh, had to say. Um, if he was pissed at you, you were a shitbird for sure. And if he was really pissed at you, he'd say, if I want any shit from you, I'll squeeze your head. Um, remember one time, you know, we were um, uh, engaging in, uh, you know, partyables, and the room was silent, and out of nowhere, Mark stood up, looked around, and said, I am sufficiently fucked up. Plopped back down in the chair, and I don't think he said another word for a couple of hours. Miguel reminded me of the grip, which was um, Mark's kind of, um, I don't know, mean-spirited take on the Vulcan neck pinch, where he would hold his hand up like a claw and say, give you the grip, and just grab you by the shoulder and neck, um, and squeeze like a maniac. Um, it was very funny. It doesn't sound funny, um, but it was. And, uh, one of the most classics of all time, we were at a party, it was late, Mark and uh, Foo Foo Dave McKay were sitting on a flight of stairs, Mark could barely keep his head up, he was so drunk, and I walked in at the tail end of the conversation, but I, when I walked up, Mark looked at Dave and he said, Foo, tonight I lay my head on this step, tomorrow we brawl and put his head down and probably fell asleep um, on the step. I don't think he had any memory of that, um, but, but it was funnier than hell. And it was quintessential Mark Rose, for sure. I honestly don't know where this came from or started, but Mark and I would do this thing. It was an impression of Fred Sanford <laughs> singing Fly Me to the Moon. I, I, I honestly have no idea where it came from. But I remember one day at the team school, we were in an empty classroom, hanging out, probably cutting class, 
and there was a tape recorder. We thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if we record Fly Me to the Moon and then the next person who uses this, you know, will just be funny. So, you know, we turn on the recorder and we start singing Fly Me to the Moon in our best Red Sanford. Turned it off, left, and didn't think anything of it. I don't know how much later, but it was long enough that we forgot we did that. We're sitting in a classroom full of people. It was uh, Bob Petrus's class. And for some reason, they were going to record us doing something. And he pulls out this tape recorder and says, uh, let's see what's on the tape before we tape over it. Hits the tape, and it's Mark and I <laughs> doing Fly Me to the Moon. The entire class cracked up. Um, even Bob cracked up. He stopped it, and people were like, no, play it again, play it again. So he rewinds it, plays it again, and then people were going, keep playing it, let's figure out who it is. <laughs> and Mark and I were, I mean, we were in the back going, no, you know, come on, let's get to, this, let's get to the lesson. Now, we're here to learn, aren't we? <laughs> and he kept playing it, and they never discovered it was us. But, um, oh my God, we were so scared that we would be caught singing Fly Me to the Moon <laughs> as, as Fred Sanford, as two Fred Sanfords. <laughs> yeah, that was our, uh, probably our biggest achievement in high school up to that point. In closing, I want to say thank you to all the people who reached out to me with uh, stories of Mark. Those are incorporated into this whole thing. Um, but what struck me was a lot of people responded um, saying that, you know, I, rem I remember Mark, I really liked Mark, but I didn't really know him that well. And it made me think, and uh, yeah, that's that was Mark. Mark was easy to like, very hard to know. And it was um, totally appropriate that so many people made that same comment. Um, that was Mark. All right, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Please share this, this with other people. Um, that's how this podcast has traveled to 14 different countries and most of the United States. Uh, just people, word, word of mouth, passing it along. Um, especially you Generation Jonesers, you know, born 1956 to 65. Um, this is about us. and Let's share this and let people know who we are. And uh, please reach out. Contact me if there's a topic from our generation you want covered or if you want to be on the podcast talking about something. Um, it's done. I, 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 would, I would love it. I have more episodes coming. But for now, if you want, you can go to um, www.70sheads.com and you can download a free link to uh, with the songs that were on this podcast. Um, please share Mark. It really means a lot to have people know his name and uh, know who he was, at least a little bit. Uh, thanks again, and um, ladies and gentlemen, this was Mark Rose. Hey, I'm on. Hey, I'm on.